Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. While our president is away across the waters of the Pacific Ocean, having a love fest with vicious, rapacious, torturous, murderer, destroyer, Kim Jong-un, Kim Young-un, the Young-un. While that is taking place, other exciting things are happening here in the United States of America and around the world. Perhaps you saw that Joe Biden, coy, coy, former vice president, former U.S. senator, long-term political fixture, and, of course, former presidential aspirant, kind of perennial, uh, akin to John Kerry. Joe Biden made his latest statement. I don't know. Maybe there's something even more recent, like (laughs) hot off the press an hour or so ago today, but As far as I know, the most recent statement he made regarding a possible presidential run here for 2020 was the following, quote, the most important people in my life want me to run. End quote. Let me just repeat that. (laughs) <laughs> because it's it's so important. So, quote, the most important people in my life want me to run, end quote. The most important people, those whom he identifies as being the most important people in his life, are his immediate family and include his grandchildren. And I think that's all fine and good. You know, as fascinating as that is, though, <laughs> it, it reminds me of a former presidential aspirant who felt that he was entitled to be president of this nation, one of many. No, I'm not speaking of John Kerry, even though he certainly uh, falls in that camp, but instead speaking of Edward M. Teddy Kennedy who was lauded after his death as being the lion of the Senate. (laughs) Ah, my. Talk about uh, aggrandizing someone after their death, you know. (laughs) Let's attribute all manner of virtues and values and convictions and morals and mores to someone after their death because it would be wrong to go on making the same criticisms that one has made of them while they were still kicking. That would be wrong. It's much better to not merely gloss over those things, but instead to engage in a a fiction, you know, a Camelotian, right, uh, fiction. But 
It reminds me of that. Remember the trouble? Remember the difficulty that Ted Kennedy had when asked why he was running for president? The difficulty he had coming up with a curt, pithy, poignant, powerful, compelling soundbite that people could get behind, be energized by, he couldn't do it. (laughs) You know, well, you know, he deserves it, right? It belongs to him. It's his birthright. It's, he's entitled to it. And this dance by Joe Biden just reminds me of that. And Joe Biden, I don't know what impressions you have about him, but in my view, (laughs) he epitomizes the hardcore Democrat hack, political hack. And perhaps you've seen the movie, the romantic dramedy. It's listed as being a comedy, but it's really not. It's a dramedy titled Return to Me and starring Minnie Driver and David Duchovny or however he pronounces his name and Carol O'Connor was stellar in it. And Carol O'Connor, who of course is extreme left (laughs) wing, as is so much of Hollywood's uh, not only um, A-list actors and actresses, but so many of those who make the machinery go. But there was a a brief scene in this movie, and this movie is actually one of my favorites, despite a maddening amount of taking the name of the Lord God Almighty in vain and of God the Son in vain. And throw in some additional profanity on top of that, and then the, uh, the cause celeb of promoting organ transplants, specifically heart transplants, but, and also humanizing gorillas and great apes to the point that they not only have a mate, but they have a wife. Anyway, <laughs> some interesting... Uh, the things going on in that movie. But Bonnie Hunt wrote it, uh, along with uh, another with uh, Don Lake. And there is a scene, a very brief scene, pardon me for digressing, and the boys are around a table there at O'Reilly's Italian Restaurant, and it's Carol O'Connor and Robert Logia. And the other two guys, and they're talking about who was the uh, best singers and what nations had the best singers and so forth. And then they happened to, to mention about so-and-so's behavior, referring to Bing Crosby. And then it gets to a comment about Frank Sinatra. And one says that Sinatra beat up everybody. 
And Robert Logia, who is the Italian great uncle to many drivers character in this movie, and Carol O'Connor's brother-in-law, he says, his people or Sinatra's people did. Sinatra did not. <laughs> so uh, an interesting you know, difference without a distinction or distinction without a difference. But that's how I view Joe Biden. I know you're wondering, where was that going? That's how I view Joe Biden. Just a, to put it as nicely as I can, a rough, tough political operative. Bare knuckles brawler kind of a political operative. And uh, anyway, here he is being so completely out of character. He's just being so coy and so clever, too clever by half, and so careful about this. And he also, he said, let me see where I have this, uh, here, a statement that he made at uh, Delaware at the Biden School of Public Policy, quote, I haven't made the final decision, but don't be surprised, end quote. Well, if this man, who's now, I'm thinking 74, I could be off on that. He's 70-something, but he's held all of these powerful offices, 76 years old. And for so long, if he has this much trouble making a decision about whether to run for president at this point in time of his life. How indecisive a president is he going to be? But enough on Biden. Too much on Biden. But our president, Donald Trump, whom so many talk show hosts have chosen to be apologists for or appeasers for or champions for or frontmen for or opening acts for. And it goes on and on and on. And why is that? Well, for so many of them, regardless what they feel about the man, regardless what they really sense about Donald Trump (laughs) and what they should know, based on his actions over the years, the decades, despite all of that, they believe that the Trump administration agenda lines up more or less with what they want, what they like, what they believe, so forth. And so they make excuses and excuses and excuses for him and run interference for him. Or the old saying was they carried water for him. And they and continually being these apologists for Trump. <laughs> well, dear Donald, dear Donald, over there in Hanoi, Vietnam, uh, with these great Peace talks, if you will. Yes. This summit, too, with Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un. Who is the current 
<laughs> a crown prince, if you will, dictator over North Korea. If anything should befall Kim, you know, if he should, uh, I don't know, strangle on a chicken bone or something, you know, or <laughs> what have you, I, I don't know. Uh, get hit in the head with a basketball from, uh, thrown by Dennis Rodman. Something. Something should happen to him. His sister is waiting in the wings, and she will be something else. <laughs> because it's not that she's more vicious than Kim. It's not that she's more ruthless than Kim. It's not that she's more murderous than Kim. She's just smarter than Kim, and Tougher than Kim. <laughs> uh, but even though he's outwardly a softy, he is vicious and torturous and has seen to, has overseen, if you will, the vicious, torturous murders of some of his relatives, <laughs> whom he has uh, feared, had aspirations for the crown. The non-crown crown. But anyway, our president is meeting with him. And interestingly enough, some foreign policy experts are now coming over to Donald Trump's side and saying they think he's really got something here. This really, you know... Even though it goes contrary to what they believe, have believed, they think that he's, he's actually making headway. They think that he's actually achieving some kind of progress here with Kim. Winning Kim over. Winning Kim over to... Turn his back on military goals and aspirations, instead turning his full attention just on hedonistic pleasures and peace and economic progress. Well, the thing is, dear old Kim Youngin has always engaged in, always filled his appetite. <laughs> fed his appetites with hedonist pleasures, raping women and, again, ordering murders and torturous murders, not to mention, of course, mass murder of Christians. But they think maybe, maybe Trump's onto something here. Maybe... This can be achieved. Maybe we can have peace. Well, a fascinating statement came out <laughs> from, this, from this latest summit, and it is, we fell in love. Don't you love that? Doesn't that just warm the cockles of your heart? We fell in love. This Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. We fell in love. Yes, Oh, my. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really hard to imagine uh, for me that uh, 
our president, despite my extremely low, <laughs> low, low view of him, that he would say something as stupid as that. But nonetheless, uh, President Trump speaking the other uh, earlier, I should say, speaking earlier with dear, dear friend Kim Jong-un. He said that he foresaw an awesome, awesome, huge, huge, awesome future for North Korea. For communist slave state North Korea. If Kim Jong-un, his friend, whom he fell in love with, his friend, should agree to give up his nuclear ambitions, his nuclear arsenal, so forth. Trump described Kim again as his friend. Now, what are your standards for friendship? <laughs> I mean, really, seriously. I, you know, the president doesn't qualify for me as somebody that I could call friend, but, but still... Kim Jong-un? Kim Jong-un? Really? This is a friend for him? Uh, I assure you, I wouldn't qualify. I, I could never, ever, ever. He would never view me as a friend. Okay, But uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, it says in the Bible, as compared to using false flattery. Deceitful, lying, false flattery. Something that our president knows a lot about such things as flattery. But again, our president tweeted this. And I find it fascinating because only a couple hours before meeting Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un, he said regarding one of his army of lawyers, former lawyers in this case, Michael Cohen, that he is a liar, a liar who is trying to protect himself. Unlike his friend, his dear friend, comrade Kim, whom he is all buddy-buddy with and whom he has fallen in love with. Now, dear old Michael Cohen I have no <laughs> uh, no reasons to believe that he is not rotten through and through. I saw statements regarding his behavior, the kinds of things that uh, were ascribed to him as far as his having done in capacity as an attorney for the president, and just a loathsome fellow, as far as I could see, based on what I read. Akin to Roger Stone, doesn't it just make you gag 
to see who these people are. Look at the people the president surrounds himself with. Hmm? In high positions, powerful positions, people that are very influential, people that get all kinds of perks and bennies and represent the president in some way, shape, or form. But anyway, Michael Cohen, however low or loathsome or whatever lacking kind of a person Michael Cohen may be, it never bothered the president. Never bothered the president prior to becoming president. Never bothered the president as president to have Michael Cohen working for him in a very sensitive capacity. No, never bothered him until it, until it did for other reasons, for other reasons. <laughs> but, oh, he's a liar. But Kim, Kim is obviously not a liar. He's obviously honest trustworthy, right? Fascinating, really. Well, what else did our president say concerning Kim Jong-un without going back to summit number one, (laughs) which was extraordinary, but breathtaking what he said about him there. But here, President Trump said of Kim When they were together, he said the following, quote, this to a room full of reporters in Hanoi, you know, like the Hanoi Hilton, Hanoi, Vietnam, communist regime, Vietnam, Hanoi, Vietnam, quote, I think you, meaning Kim, quote, I think you will have a tremendous future with your country. A great leader. And I look forward to watching it happen and helping it to happen, end quote. Yes, it's kind of strange construction there, his sentence. But he calls Kim a great leader. A great leader. Well, I am very, very careful about my use of the term great. But if you're going to refer to Kim in any capacity as being great, the only term that can come after great that would be honest is destroyer or slaughterer. A great leader. Fantastic. Magnificent. This is our president. But he's communicating not just to Kim. He's communicating to the people of the United States of America. He's communicating to the people of the free world, so-called, of the Western world, of former, and I do mean former, Christendom. He is communicating to the people of Asia. The people in Vietnam under the communist tyranny in Vietnam, the people under the communist tyranny in Laos, the people under the communist tyranny in Burma, Myanmar, now Myanmar, the people under the communist tyranny in 
communist China. The people under the communist tyranny in North Korea, in Kim's North Korea. He's lauding, he's praising, he's honoring this vicious, ruthless, murderous thug who is responsible for the destruction of vast multitudes of Christians, of families, of people, good people, and then the occasional less than good one, the occasional bad one that he has also seen to the destruction of because he views them as competition. Our president has done this. And he's done it for his reasons, for his means to an end. After all, he always asks Mike Pompeo and his intelligence officials and so forth, what's in it for us? What's in it for me? What's in it for us? It's all the numero uno generation. We're only going to do something if there's something in it for us. Not because it's right. Not because it's true. Not because it's good. Not because it's necessary. Not because it's needful. Not because it cries out to be done. Cries for justice. Cries for rescue. But because there's something in it for us. For him. Before I continue, let me just say, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and good and true about this program, in this program, is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. And whatever's wrong, lacking, erring, is on me, is due to me. But... Our dear president, meanwhile, perhaps you saw that uh, Moon Chung-in, who happens to be a special advisor for foreign affairs and national security to the president of South Korea, the South Korean Republic, said the following, quote, It's a good deal for North Korea and a bad deal for the United States, end quote. So it's a good deal for this vicious, ruthless, satanic, literally satanic, communist regime, family dynasty of the Kims, in North Korea, and it's a bad deal for the people of the United States and the free world. Great. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe he's wrong. Well, North Korea's human rights record is something to behold. But, you know, the president spoke regarding it. Once upon a time now, (laughs) once upon a time ago, yes, 
And he pledged that he would really put the pressure on North Korea regarding these things such as the murder of Otto Warmbier and so forth. And he spoke about it at that uh, Asian summit, A-S-E-A-N, and in his State of the Union in 2018. But at the beginning of 2018, January. But North Korea powerfully, little North Korea, powerfully has persuaded the Trump administration not to follow through on attacking their horrendous human rights record. Meanwhile, multitudes of young women, girls, underage girls, and women are raped by (laughs) the Kim regime. And many people murdered, many people just never seen again, and great numbers starved to death. Not because, not for want of food, but by state policy. Same kind of thing as has taken place in the past in Ethiopia, for instance. But, oh well. (laughs) What do you expect? What do you expect from, forget about a communist regime for a minute. What do you expect from an organized crime family? What do you expect from a bunch of gangsters? What do you expect from an inner city gang? Do you expect that they are going to behave honorably towards girls and young women and women? Do you really? Of course not. When they have absolute power over a nation? Are they going to behave better than they, the same kind of vicious thugs do when they have some gang in some inner city area, something like that, or, or out in the countryside or what have you? Really? No. I think not. Perhaps you saw, and perhaps it escaped your attention because of the other excitement going on, but a federal judge. Don't you love it when they say such and such a court has delivered such and such a decision? A court has decided, such as the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land. Well, in this case, this is merely a federal judge. One lone federal judge in the Lone Star State, a Houston judge who happens to be in a position of power. 
U.S. District Judge Gray Miller of the great, great state of Texas, the Southern District, he has written that draft, military draft, conscription cannot be limited to men. Cannot. No, our Constitution does not permit it to be limited to men. (laughs) It's just, anyway, it's, again, this is a preview of coming attractions. Way back in the day, back when good old, trust me, toothy, James Earl Jimmy Carter, good old boy, who, as I've mentioned before, (laughs) actually had a reputation for being a ruthless political actor, if you will. But back... When he was president, we got to have this integration of military academies, of the military, and he was at the forefront of pushing something with the title ERA, not to be confused with the real estate firm ERA. But this was the so-called Equal Rights Amendment. Equal Rights. Let's remove all distinctions between men and women, between male and female. Make it all a unisex world. Great, great ambitions. And the feminists, the feminazis, the femicommunists... (laughs) The Fema fascists virulently pushed for this, and dear old Jimmy Carter even managed to tweak the laws such that he extended the period of time that he could use to try to get confirmation of this, and he still failed to ratify it. States actually backed out of ratifying it. But among the arguments against ERA was that women would be drafted into the military. Women would be caused to actually be in combat. Mothers could be drafted. And could be sent to war. And oh, the great experts, they lined up and they said, that's a vicious, dirty, horrible lie that can never happen, that would never happen. Well, really? Here we are now. Here we are. 2019. And we not only have a significant portion of the military, 
that are female, many of them young women, some of them young mothers, some of them not so young mothers, and at any point in time, 10% or so are pregnant, (laughs) but that doesn't affect our military readiness in any way, shape, or form, but we have integrated them into combat forces. We have promoted various women to very high rank and hitherto, previously, promoted them to such ranks without combat experience. (laughs) Put them in charge of combat troops. And now what we get to look forward to is women being drafted into the military. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that something to look forward to? Well, it reminds me of something that, again, this lying former presidential lawyer Michael Cohen said in his statement. Uh, He said the following, quote, I find it ironic, President Trump, that you are in Vietnam right now, end quote. Well, what's ironic about it? Well, just this is that according to Cohen, our president said, quote, you think I'm stupid? I wasn't going to Vietnam, end quote. Supposedly, uh, he had said this. And... Cohen cited the the president back in his day that he received college deferments and medical deferments to avoid military service in the Vietnam War. Well, perhaps some of these women can get those too. Right, college deferments, medical deferments. It, it does strike me as odd because I, I think of Donald Trump as being a big, strong guy. He always, you know, promotes the fact of how able-bodied he is and everything else. And but interestingly enough, supposedly received medical deferments to keep from <laughs> being drafted and sent to Vietnam. But anyway, this judge, he's going to help push us that way. And this case was brought by a couple fellows. I don't know if they're sodomites or not, so I won't name them by name. But also a men's group, men's rights group, the San Diego-based National Coalition for Men that uh, stated that it was wrong, wrong for men to be picked on this way, (laughs) right? Wow. Women are now allowed in combat, so this decision is long overdue. (laughs) Oh, my. It's just extremely gratifying Isn't it to see how far we have come, where this nation is in this day and age? But no, 
No, oh, the ERA, oh, it never, ever, ever would have led to any of this. The ERA was not ratified. The ERA did not make it into the Constitution, and yet, here we are. Perhaps you saw some mention about some saber-rattling from Russia and via a state-run TV station. All of the media in Russia now, and this has been the case for many years, thanks to Russian president de facto for life, Vladimir Putin, all of them are controlled by the Russian regime. All of the media are controlled by the Russian regime of Vladimir Putin that reports to, takes its marching orders from Vladimir Putin. But anyway, this fellow Dmitry Kisilyov, not a young man, he stated on his weekly TV program, Vesti Nadelli, which happens to be one of the most watched, most viewed news, news, mind you, programs in Russia. Broadcast on Russia One. He stated that he had the information regarding you know, various targets in the United States of America that would be struck by hypersonic nuclear missiles fired from Russian submarines if the United States of America deployed nuclear missiles to Europe, to the continent. And that this would be done, this would be carried out by Russia as a matter of vengeance, a matter of principle. Well, it's been poo-pooed by various experts. Russia doesn't have the capacity to do that. Russia doesn't have the, (laughs) the wherewithal. And they're not about to do such a thing. Okay, And this is in the wake of all of the brouhaha over the INF Treaty, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty of 1987, signed by Ronald Reagan, then President of the United States, and Mikhail Gorbachev of the Soviet Union. But... There are a couple different ways this can play out. Certainly, absolutely, positively, this is saber-rattling. If Russia is going to, is bent on actually attacking the United States of America, they're not going to telegraph it, okay? Regardless how quick they think the time will be from launch to 
destruction by these the nuclear warheads on so-called hypersonic missiles, they're still not going to telegraph it. There's no way they're going to telegraph it because, again, he's talking about them being launched from nuclear submarines. They're not going to endanger the well-being of those submarines prior to them launching their payloads, let alone afterwards, but especially prior to But I thought it was fascinating that a couple things. One, the target list that he gave, it was grossly inferior to one that I could come up with off the top of my head without any, without any in-depth knowledge or anything else, without any access to any insider information. I could come out with a better list of targets, nuclear targets for Russia than the one given on that program. So that's kind of bizarre. But then, what's more, the Kremlin, following this, the Kremlin stated that it did not interfere in state TV's editorial policy, even though everything communicated on these state TV stations and state media has to go through the Kremlin, is approved, disapproved by the Kremlin. It's the reason that the Kremlin took over all of (laughs) television and media, was to be able to control it with a stranglehold. But... Anyway, various experts, they're saying, no, Russia doesn't have the capacity. They don't have the capability. They don't have the technology. Well, (laughs) you should take that with a grain of salt. Because the point of fact, we don't really know exactly what they have. And they have been working to this end for some time. But I said this can, can go a couple ways. As far as coming attractions of warfare, major warfare. One, yes, Putin's regime and Xi Jinping's communist Chinese regime and Kim Jong-un and other actors, such as Pakistan and Iran and what have you, they could all, in coordinated, orchestrated fashion, simultaneously attack the United States of America from every direction, attack the United States of America's bases around the world, attack the United States of America's installations of every kind, supply facilities, try to knock out nuclear subs and aircraft carriers and what have you. Everything. So bases from Germany to Turkey to Syria to you name it. 
Saudi Arabia, whatever. All the way, of course, to Korea, South Korea, Guam, Okinawa, and, and what have you. Sure. And United States of America, mainland and Hawaii and what have you. They could do that. They could try. But I just don't see that happening. Not because they don't desire our destruction. Not because of lack of motivation. Not because of lack of will. Nor even because of this supposed lack of capability. But, because in point of fact, they do have ability to do that. But I just don't see that being the way things would take place. And also, even though this fellow referred to leaving the United States of America uh, as a nuclear ash bin or whatever, you know, akin to Ronald Reagan's statement about uh, uh, Soviet Union being relegated to being a, an ash bin, but, or words to that effect. But instead, I see this being used, these warnings being used, just to try to keep the U.S. in check while Russia continues to develop and so that Russia can proceed with basically doing its own version of what Adolf Hitler did in the sense of taking back any and all territory that they view as being their own, namely territories that were enslaved by the Soviet Union, even though it's no longer communist, mind you, but and then using this extended territory as staging platforms for attacking the continent of Europe and then Britain. And meanwhile, China and North Korea and Pakistan making their movements in Asia. I don't think there would be an action against the United States of America proper prior to such things as that. It's not to say it couldn't happen. But again, they don't want to leave the rich, valuable, desirable United States of America as a nuclear radiation-filled dump site and also, it just that just doesn't seem like the most likely way to try to achieve success, in my view. But not to say it's impossible, but it certainly is improbable. However, engaging in trying to take over the world by other means, other tactics, I think is extremely likely. Not to say that I think they're going to succeed. 
as I've said before, I believe that whatever they do, the ultimate victor will not be them, is not coming from Russia, certainly not from China, but instead from a new alliance, a new vast coalition that will be a newly constituted version of the Roman Empire. We shall see. And, of course, our president, he is doing everything in his capacity, everything in his capacity to make this world a safer place and to win himself a Nobel Peace Prize in the bargain and be reelected. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.